Well, good evening. I feel like I need to, uh, like the magician, need to show everything okay. We're going to hit start on the timer, all right? I've heard all the jokes today. We're going uh, to get through this. Does anybody not have or would like, that, that would like a copy of the lesson on this piece of paper, not have one? There were a few more in the back. You may have already grabbed one. That's fine. I hope so, but in case you didn't, we wanted to ask. Uh, yeah, when I left last week to, uh, to head out to camp, or last Sunday when we were here, I told uh, Faith, gave Faith uh, my outlines for the bulletin since I wouldn't be back by Friday morning, and I told her we should just put 22 numbers in there and, and see what everybody thought. thought it might be a true test of faith uh, tonight to see who would show back up after seeing all those. Most of you just connected the dots and then, you know, acted like you were supposed to show a giraffe or something is what Charles said. <clears throat> but uh, we are uh, going to look at these uh, points together tonight, and if you have your outline on, again on the other sheet of paper, you'll see a little bit where we're going with this. But we're going to begin in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to follow along, I'm going to turn to most of these passages with you uh, as we look at them together and think about these. This is kind of a, it's kind of a keep it going, kind of a keep it moving uh, lesson, and we'll try to kind of think about these things. But I want to challenge you with something as we get to the end about it, that maybe you can take this, uh, specifically if you've got the small piece of paper, and use it uh, and, and keep it handy for a while. Maybe keep it on your refrigerator, maybe keep it on your uh, mirror in your bathroom, maybe in your car, somewhere you, where you can see it, because hopefully, obviously, like almost all lessons, it is beneficial even past the few moments that we'll share together tonight. Uh, one other note as we begin is uh, this was from our, my brother Roger Campbell, our brother Roger Campbell from the Greens Lake Road congregation. We just got to spend the week with him as one of the directors out at uh, Bible Camp. Uh, McCoy Bible Camp, and uh, from time to time, I'm thankful that he shares things with me. I didn't have to go asking for it. He just sent it to me a while back and said, hey, if you're ever looking for, for an outline, this is one I just did that went well, and I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to use it. Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 4, Paul says very simply, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, if you know your Bible history, if you know anything about the prison epistles, as we sometimes call them, and Philippians is considered one of those, then you know of the fact that Paul is writing this as a prisoner. He is a prisoner in chains when he is pinning this letter to those in Philippi. Not only that, but he is a prisoner in chains, and he is encouraging them. That's the place that this statement comes from. It's not from someone who's making the most money, who's traveling the most, is on the preacher circuit, and has the most accolades. He is the one who is in prison, in chains, writing to encourage them. He says that we, just as they should have done, should rejoice. And rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in our kids. Well, we love our kids, but no. Rejoice in our accomplishments, our accolades from work. Well, that's great. We're thankful for those, but no. Rejoice in your, your, your sports team, your college football team's success. Again, that's great if you have it, but, but no. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. You see from the title of our lesson, if I am a faithful child of God, I have many, many reasons to, to rejoice. I guess this lesson could have been a lot more than 22. We could have gone a whole lot more. We ask you from time to time as we sing the song, have you ever counted your blessings? Do you ever sit down and count your blessings? Well, that's what we're going to do tonight, essentially. Count our many blessings and think about these points. Because if I am faithful, 
if I am a faithful child of God, I can rejoice. And let's begin. Number one, because my God is the Lord and ruler of heaven and earth. Do you recall in Acts chapter 17 and verse 24, we, we quoted from this sermon this morning. But as Paul is preaching to those folks there at Athens, he says, God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. My God, the God that I serve, is the ruler, the Lord of heaven and earth. And by the way, that never change, changes. Why can I rejoice knowing that? Because it never changes. It is true for all days of the week that end in D-A-Y. God is the Lord of heaven and earth. He is the ruler of all things. And I can rejoice because he is my God and I can serve him. But not only that, I can also rejoice because I know from 1 John chapter 4, and if you want to turn to 1 John, as maybe you're making your notes, the next several points will come from 1 John. But I can also rejoice knowing that, that the one who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. 1 John chapter 4 and verse number 4. You are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I don't know if you know this, but the devil is very powerful. You see, we like to think of him that maybe he's not, that we can defeat him in a sense, and that, you know, if we'll just be faithful, he will flee from us in a sense, but he is very powerful. You have seen it in your own lives. You know folks who have succumbed to the wiles, the fiery darts of the devil. And so we know that he is powerful, but we also know that we are on the winning side, that Christ has won the victory over Satan and over death ultimately. And so we can take comfort knowing that the one who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. I can face each day with some comfort and peace knowing that fact. Not only that, I know that I can overcome the world by faith. 1 John 5, 4, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Our faith. We're thankful for that. You can go backwards in your Bible if you have time or as you do your own study to Hebrews chapter 11. And we see all of those folks and we read that list and we recognize that all of the things they did, all of the things they accomplished were not by their own strength, not because they could bench press the most, not because they had the greatest military, but it was all done by faith. We, as faithful children of God, can rejoice because we know that we can overcome the world by our faith. Again, from 1 John, an encouraging passage that we usually look at <clears throat> quite often from the beginning. Excuse me. 1 John 1, 7. I can rejoice because I know that the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We talked about this a little bit recently in one of our Wednesday night classes as we talked about the idea of forgiveness. Because we said that here on this earth, we use the concept of forgive and forget. But I'm here to tell you, we can forgive, but we're not usually good at forgetting. Even if we don't hold it over somebody else's head, 
I might still look at somebody who wronged me before and say, I will try to love you. I will shake your hand. I will greet you. We can continue to move forward, but I'm never going to forget that time that you crossed me, that you said something about me behind my back, that you stole from me, or whatever it might be. Because we know that here on earth as humans, we struggle to truly be cleansed or forgiven and, and then forgotten of all things. But the blood of Jesus cleanses me from all sin. I'm thankful for that. And when I'm down, when things of this world seem to overcome me, I can think about the words of John, all of these here together from 1 John, from the epistle of 1 John. The next few are going to kind of go together. The first being number five in your notes. I can go 24-7 to the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, the Hebrew writer reminds us of this fact. Let us therefore come boldly on top of that. Not just that we can do it 24-7, but we can come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Have you ever felt this way on earth? Have you ever felt like there was a time where you were struggling with something and there was no one to turn to for help? You say, nobody understands me. Nobody's been through this. Nobody has it as bad as I've had it. We feel that way sometimes, and we get a little overwhelmed, maybe a little self-pity, but it can be sort of disheartening, discouraging to feel like there's nobody in the world that I can turn to, but God's there. When statements are made like this by the Hebrew writer, we know that we can come boldly. We have said this even recently as we have talked about prayer. There are people that we cannot access Folks like the president, folks like the governor, even people like athletes or movie stars. You can't just call them up. You can't just access them on a whim because you choose that you think you might want to ask them a question or talk to them. But we can talk to the God of heaven. We can talk to the one who is Lord and ruler of heaven and earth, as we said just a few moments ago, and be thankful for that because his throne of grace is always open. It doesn't, there's no time of night. You wake up in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the morning, struggling, worried about something. You say, well, who can I call? Can't call them. They're asleep. I'm sure they're resting. I don't want to bother them. Throne of grace is available, and we should rejoice in that. In connection, Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 that God's ears are open to my prayers. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 12. 12, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers we can take comfort knowing that we can't access that hotline so to speak we can go 24 7 and he will hear us some folks don't want to listen some folks aren't available to listen but God's ears are open to my prayers again in connection and again the words of Peter first Peter chapter 5 and verse number 7 we can rejoice because God tells me to cast all my care on him. 1 Peter chapter 5, actually beginning in verse number 6. Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. From a fleshly example, we think of that friend who opens up their arm, literally opens up their shoulder and their arm and says, let it all out. Let it all out, cry it all out, share it all, whatever it is. Literally, come and share it all with me. I will listen. God tells me to cast all my care on him. We should thank him 
We, we should praise him. But he absolutely says without a doubt, as a child of mine, you can cast all your cares upon me for he cares for you. Our relationships come and go. You may have had a best friend for years that you thought you could tell anything. And sometimes they may pass away. Sometimes they may move away. Sometimes they'll break trust and then you feel like you can't go to them anymore. Not that way with God. God tells me to cast all my care on him. And not only that, but number eight, we know that we have a high priest who makes intercession for us. Again, the Hebrew writer, as he talks so much about these Old Testament examples. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost to those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. The peace that we have in knowing that we don't have to get every word right. We don't have to pray with perfection, with understanding everything and using every single word correctly. Or that we cannot access God because he is so far and high above our ways. But we have a high priest who is making intercession for us. All of these together here, five, six, seven, and eight, sort of connect to remind us of the power of prayer. If I am a faithful child of God, I can rejoice because I have the power of prayer on my side. And even as we continue to have wonderful, beautiful prayers worded here before this audience and in this group together, as we are constantly praying for these folks that we keep mentioning, we're thankful for our high priest and for our God who is listening. Number nine, Somewhat again, even in connection, Philippians chapter 4, where we began, we should rejoice always knowing that God supplies all that I need. Philippians chapter 4, in verse number 17, Paul had been, had been traveling, Paul had been in prison, and those in Philippi had sent gifts to him. And he is acknowledging that. Verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, excuse me, I have all in abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. <clears throat> Verse 19, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes we don't say this, Sometimes we say, well, I sure wish God would give me all that I want. That's not how it works. That's not what he's saying here. God will supply every need. We think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 32 and 33 there. We know that the folks at that time sometimes struggle with this idea. The Pharisees and Sadducees would sometimes have some false teachings going along with this. But Jesus says, for after all these things, verse 32, the Gentiles seek, what shall we eat? What shall we wear? What's going to happen? Verse 31, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things, all these material things shall be added unto you. God supplies all that I need. But not only that, let's mention number 10. My Father, my God, supplies me, blesses me with all spiritual blessings. The great statement made in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 3. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Think about it this way. Material blessings, check. Spiritual blessings, check. He is willing to supply and will supply all that we need. We notice even number 11. If I am a faithful child of God, I can rejoice because my name is written in heaven. We sometimes use the phrase or the idea, the concept, the Bible even uses it, maybe I should say, of the book of life. But do you remember in Luke chapter 10, Jesus has sent out the 70. He sent out 70 to go and to preach and to teach, to go around, and they have this power. They look in verse number 17 of Luke chapter 10, if you turn there. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. So they're saying they've been sent out. They come back excited, but they come back excited because of the power. Now, Jesus here has to sort of maybe do a little bit of correcting. And he says, you know, I don't want to rain on your parade, as we sometimes say. But verse number 20 He says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, this power that you had, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. He says, I'm not trying to to rain on your parade, but be certain our real joy, our real happiness should come because our names are in heaven, not because of the power, as he tells them here. Not only that, but in connection number 12, I know that I have the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. Titus chapter 1 and verse number 2. Paul says, In hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Think about it this way. It's secure. The government, government can't take it from me. Your teachers, teachers can't take it from you. There's so many folks that we could go on and on, institutions that we could list. They can't take it from you. It's secure. You can give it up. You can turn from God. But if I'm a child of God, I should rejoice and rejoice in the Lord and rejoice in the Lord always because I have the hope of eternal life. But not only that, Peter says it this way. We can notice as well that I have an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 4 as an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away and is reserved in heaven for you. In the class that I taught this week, which was ages 17 and up at Bible camp, the other person that was teaching with me, we said it this way, or he mentioned that he'd heard it said, this is so awesome, this is so powerful, it's so exciting that it's almost like Peter can't even use regular words to describe it. He has to use negative words, that it is incorruptible and it's undefiled. It almost seems to be so wonderful that Peter can't even, he's speechless, so to speak, and he can't even describe it, but to use it in the negative sense. I have an inheritance reserved for me in heaven. You know, our inheritance or inheritances here upon this earth sometimes fade away. Sometimes our loved ones pass away. We found out that there's not that as much inheritance as we might have hoped to gain from something like that. But an inheritance that is undefiled, incorruptible, and does not fade away, 
Yes, I can rejoice in that. But we shift here to another passage from 1 Peter, this time 1 Peter chapter 4. We shift because while that is exciting, these next couple ones aren't going to aren't going to sound that exciting they're not going to be something that we really want to rejoice in but i can rejoice knowing that i can be a partaker of christ's suffering first peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 13 beloved do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you but here's our word again at least in the new king james but rejoice you're gonna suffer 1 Timothy chapter 3, you're going to suffer. Yea, and all who expect to live in Christ Jesus will suffer, or all who will live faithfully will suffer. Excuse me, that's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 12. We can rejoice. It's not something that seems that exciting. These are the ones, 14 and 15, are the ones that are not going to be at the top of your list when you're making a list. But I can rejoice because I can partake with Christ in his sufferings. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. We've been talking about it in Sunday morning. Peter's writing to those who are suffering. This is, you might say, the theme of 1 Peter is faith under fire. They are suffering. They are struggling. He says, expect it, but also rejoice in it. I don't know that I want to do that. Yeah, I don't know that I do either. But we can rejoice that we are suffering with Christ. 15 is along the same lines here. I can rejoice knowing that the trying or testing of my faith helps produce patience. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 used to be, maybe still is to an extent, one of my favorite passages. It's not fun. It's not easy. But there's not really a one of us, at least who are of age, that can say I've not suffered something. James writes, count it all joy. Can you imagine opening this epistle from James, reading what he has to say, and beginning the letter by saying, excuse me, count it all joy? I should be happy? We try to teach our young people this in class sometimes, and we say, you know, it's not that we jump up and down and say, oh, I'm so thankful that I've lost a loved one. I'm so thankful that I'm suffering. But James reminds us that when we do, then we go through these steps, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And that patience may have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, our thought from last Sunday morning, mature, perfect, and complete, lacking nothing. Suffering, trials, they're not number one on our list, but we can rejoice in those for these reasons we've just looked at. Number 16, you recall from Luke chapter 15, Jesus is trying to emphasize the importance of those who are lost. They're asking him questions as is always taking place around him. And the tax collectors and the sinners at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, they're criticizing Jesus for eating with sinners. They're criticizing him. But what power there is in the gospel. Because then he takes that and tells three different parables. The parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. As a faithful child of God, I can rejoice because I see lost sheep being saved or rescued all the time. I stand here tonight looking in this audience, knowing some of you were at one time maybe unfaithful but have come back. Others who maybe have made a commitment again to being faithful 
and we think about those who are being added to the body. What a wonderful occasion it is. How we rejoice when that takes place. I know it doesn't happen maybe as often as we wish or we would like, but maybe there's that fire that we need, that push, that we need to go out and find someone to seek the lost and to try to add to the flock, to the body, to the church. As a child of God, I can rejoice knowing that we rejoice with one another when people either are saved, become a child of God, or are rescued from their sinful ways and come back to Him. What a great encouragement that is. Number 17, we see as well here from Galatians chapter 5, I can rejoice knowing that my fellow Christians love and serve me. Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 13. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I know. I've seen it right here in this place. I know. I can pick up the phone and I can send a text message. I can make a phone call. And I know that you would be there. You know that we would be there. That is a great blessing to rejoice in, in knowing that my fellow Christians are striving to love and serve me. I don't, I struggle with this sometimes. I don't know how to explain it to other people, to know the peace that comes from having a church family. I I do not worry about my life, about my family. I don't want bad things to happen. I don't welcome them. I don't go out and seek them in a sense. But I do not worry in the same way as other people worry about their life or their job or their income or the food on their table. If my house burned down tonight, I wouldn't have to think about a meal not once. You all would be there. If your house burned down, if something happened to you, we would be there in a moment's notice. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord because we have fellow Christians who want to love and serve. And in connection with that, I see saints whose faith and love are growing. We talked about this last Sunday morning for just a few moments. That's what the preacher wants. He wants those who are continuing to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Paul would write in 1 Thessalonians and he would tell them, I remember your love and your faith. But in 2 Thessalonians he would write and say, We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other. We are thankful for that opportunity that we have to look around us and see people growing, abounding in knowledge, in faith, and in love. That is a great blessing of Christians. Number 19, I know I can rejoice because I have shepherds who are watching out for my soul. Did I go too far? There we go. 19. 19. I have shepherds who are watching out for my soul. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse number 17. When we think about our shepherds doing a very difficult work, the Hebrew writer says, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. I have shepherds who care for me. 
And again, don't just care enough that I might have food on my table or clothes on my back who would help me in those physical, in those physical ways, but watch over my soul. They watch over your soul. We are in this together as members of a congregation working together. They may be leaders in a sense, but I'm not more important than anyone else. And we can all say this. I have shepherds to watch over my soul. Number 20, I can take joy tonight in knowing that I am a part of the greatest work in the world. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse number 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What better thing can we be a part of? Look, I love social groups. I love sports teams. I love a part, to, to, uh, opportunity to be a part of a community and to get to know people and do those kinds of things. But there is no better way. There is no better thing than to be a part of the work of the church, the work of God. And we can rejoice in that, knowing that it is not in vain, but it is for the Lord. Number 21. I can rejoice knowing that I have God's word to guide me. We know Psalm 119 is, is full of the passages that speak about the power of the word of God. But also in Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, we reference this section this morning as well. As Paul is addressing those elders, he says, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build, up, to build you up and give you an inheritance, there's that word again, among all those who are sanctified. I have God's word to guide me and build me up. All things that pertain to life and godliness, all the authority I need to know how to love him, to serve him, to worship him, to be faithful to him so that I can receive that inheritance. I'm thankful for that. How about you? And then finally tonight, my Lord promises me that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Hebrews chapter 13, again, and this time verse number 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, and by the way, if you, you may have the notation in your Bible, but it's an Old Testament reference. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even as we said in our lesson this morning, our great God, who maybe in times of dispensation has changed the way by which we serve him and are faithful and obedient to him, it's never changed that he has told his children, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Tonight, as we conclude this lesson, the challenge is, would you count your blessings? That's 22 simple things right there. But would you put it on your mirror at home? Would you... Put it in your car where you can see it. I even heard Brother Roger, as he was giving this example, giving this lesson, use a great example. What about you husbands and wives? Would you keep this in your house each day? Pick a number. I reckon you could do this yourself even. Pick a number. Number 15. We'll focus on that today. The next day, number two. We'll focus on that today. You got at least 22 here to get you started. But would you count your blessings and rejoice and rejoice always for these 22 reasons and so many more. 
And as we conclude our lesson tonight, we're about to sing this song of encouragement to encourage you. If you are not a child of God, enjoying these blessings, that you would do that tonight. Become a child of God, be added to the church, and begin to enjoy all spiritual blessings. But maybe you're here tonight, and you don't feel this way. You struggle with counting your blessings because there's a problem between you and God. You know, I had the opportunity at camp last week to preach or speak one day on, on prayer and improving our prayer life. And I reckon I should have spent most of the lesson on it, but it was the last point I threw out at him before we finished, that maybe one of the problems with our prayer life, more often than not, is that we're not right with God. We struggle counting our blessings and praying to him because we know there's something amiss in our life and we're not comfortable approaching the throne of grace and mercy because we're not faithful to him. Maybe you need to make a change tonight, come back to him, have that sin out of your life so that you can continue Begin again and continue to live faithfully. We sing to encourage that as well. Maybe there's something else, just some kind of burden that you're struggling with. We're thankful as a family, as Christians, to be able to rejoice and to pray for one another. You can make any needs you have known now as we stand together and as we sing.